Throughout my 25 plus years of working in higher education, I've had the chance to build relationships with all types of creatives. Each one of these people has a story to tell that will go deeper into their mindset as a creative. Each episode, I will take you inside the mind of a creative as we weave together stories that led to overcoming doubt, tapping into motivations, and ultimately unlocking the creative psyche. Hello and welcome to The Undaunted Creative, a podcast that takes a closer look into the story behind success in the creative fields. Today's guest, Abe Cannon, is a radio host, producer, comedy writer, voiceover artist, podcaster, content creator, and in my opinion, the epitome of what a well-rounded true creative is. Ah, never, thank you. Well, you got it. You, well, you know, I'll tell you, Abe, you never allow anything to hold you back. You've persevered in the media industry that can be both challenging, cutthroat, but also rewarding. And we're going to discuss your career and pull out those nuggets of information that I'm sure is going to inspire all those who are listening. Abe, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we've known each other for over 20 years, and I've seen you build your creative empire sort of step by step, right? So before we dive into that, I want to first start with the early years of Abe Cannon. You posted a, okay. few, a few years back uh, some of those early videos you would make for fun with your friends and family. And yeah. it seemed to me that even in your teens, you had that creative spark and the ability to make people laugh. How would you describe your earliest endeavors with creativity? Well, when I was a little, I mean, this is, I guess it's me now, but like when I was a little kid, we would like make fun of, you not make fun of other kids, but we would, I would like make books about the other kids in class that were annoying. And we would, I would draw pictures of them and write stories and I mean, I guess it's not nice now thinking about it, but the kids were assholes. It's not like they were like nice kids. I guess I was always observing and like, you know, commenting on things and joking about things. So since I was a little kid, I've always had that mindset of observation where I would, you know, find what's funny about something, I guess. And uh, yeah, so I started like prank calling like cable access channels and stuff. When I was super young, um, we were always just like commenting on teachers in school, you know, kids that we know, some friends of mine would be on the phone for three hours, just, you know, making, basically making fun of annoying people. So that's kind of how we started with the, uh, you know, making people laugh, I guess. Well, that's great. And I was going to ask you about family dynamics. Sometimes that does play a role in success. Did your family encourage you in terms of like your dreams early on? I grew up with my mom and grandma. They raised me. So they never like stopped me from doing anything. I didn't like necessarily want to do radio. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do really. Cause I went to Columbia without really, I went there to do sound, like to be a, work in a recording studio. So I never planned on being a radio host until I took like a couple of radio classes and then you got me an internship at Q101. And then that's really what started it. So I didn't really have this planned out. <laughs> kind of just, it kind of just worked you, out. You sort of fell right into it, which is, which is, I think the best thing because sometimes it's the people that are the funniest. They don't realize just how funny they are, and that observational humor that you have. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. Um, I, I think is really important, and, and sort of what makes you this creative that you're not limited to one thing. Uh, you know, uh, something this past week, I've been watching this excellent documentary about the actor Val Kilmer on Amazon. Oh yeah. And um, as someone who was really invested in his own career, he did something that I felt was really unique. He actually archived on video like 
everything. So like rehearsals, conversations, auditions, all this behind the scenes stuff. You know, as confident as some of us might pretend to be, that's like a lot of footage, right? So I bring this up because I know you have tons of archived audio from all your stops throughout your career. And for many artists who are in, whether media or they're musicians, film, etc., radio, it takes some getting used to, to hearing your own work. Oh, yeah. How long did it take you to get comfortable with your creative output? I mean, hearing your own voice recorded sounds very strange. But you don't know what you you really don't know what you sound like until like you should if, if you're you know getting into this you should practice like record something into your phone into your iphone or whatever your voice notes and listen to your voice because that's not what you think you sound like you sound completely different i started producing like prank calls and bits in other voices so I, I would do all these voices so i wasn't really hearing my voice until I started doing like some weekend stuff on Q101. So that's when I really heard my voice. And I'm like, Ugh. I, you, no one likes their voice when they hear it. So, but you, people don't know what they sound like. They, have, they should listen back. You know, and one of the things that I was going to ask you about is from that artistic lens, what are some of the standards you personally set for yourself before you put something out there for general um, consumption? So is there a certain seal of approval internally that you strive for? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like to make sure that I think it's funny. Like if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing a podcast, I wouldn't just record a podcast and then just put it out that day. Like you should make sure you're at least happy with it because if you put something out, a listener might give you one shot if they give you any shot. So if they hear something and they don't like it, they're never coming back. So I don't recommend just putting something out. Now, it's good to put stuff out, you know, to, to get better. You have to eventually do that. But just don't don't sit down, figure out how to record into your computer and then put that out thinking like, oh, this is great. You know, so I, I think you should at least let some friends listen to your stuff before you put it out to everyone. You know, someone you, you need someone you it's very important to have someone you trust. You know, there's people who will actually like if I ask my mom, anything I do is the best. Sure. So, like, that's not the person you want critiquing you. Well, well, it's funny because one other route for success you just talked about is having your tribe, your crew, your posse. You have a strong group of fellow creators, and I'm going to bring up two of them, Dan Levy and, and Mr. Ryan Mano. Yeah. Do the three of you bounce some of these ideas off each other before, like, let's say you're thinking of something. Do you give maybe Dan a call or shoot an email over to Ryan and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Let me throw this by you. Uh, not Dan does it a lot with me. Like okay. he'll send me something and, and I, I'm, I'm very, for instance, I'm the person who told him to shave his head. Cause wow. like he was going bald at like 20 and like, Hey dude, you should shave your head. And like, now he's very happy that he did that. But like, he would have never done. I mean, I'm sure he would eventually did it, but like he, I'll, he'll send me a piece of audio and I'll be honest. Cause he's like, Oh, everyone told me this is awesome. And I'll be like, well, and then he'll, he'll appreciate my advice. Um, at this point, I, I don't really, I mean, Angie Taylor and I do the morning show together. So a lot of the stuff that we do on the show, we're bouncing back and forth at this point. Cause you know, it's, it's such a quick turnaround cause we write so much stuff. It's just us two doing the whole show. So there's so much stuff that we do. So she, it's mainly her at this point that I'm bouncing stuff because we're working together like nonstop. So yeah, sometimes I'll send stuff to Ryan or base, uh, or Dan, um, you know, I'll be like, hey, what do you guys think of this? But not, I, I don't do it as much anymore. 
Well, you really helped to image Dan then, because by him shaving his head, I mean, that's become his whole <laughs> image, right? I mean, take a, I mean, that, it really has. You take a look at yeah. his image as a voiceover artist, and there's Dan with that head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you, what's one idea or skit that maybe hasn't seen the light of day that you look back at and go, I should have totally have done that. That, that totally mm. would have worked. Mm. Is there anything? It could be radio. It could be the podcast. It could be some of the video stuff oh. you've done. I, I wrote a TV script, a TV a pilot for a TV show and a pilot for a movie, which I never I, I did write the pilot for the TV show that I never did anything with. And then I wrote a movie and I just kind of like fell to the side. Like, I, I wonder if I what would have happened if I like pushed with that, like really put a lot of effort. I also did stand up a few times. And I never really pushed with that. Um, but I like to, I really enjoy radio. You know, that's like where I'm most comfortable. That's what I enjoy doing. Uh, those are some things that I, I think it would have been interesting to, you know, really push and see what I could have done with those. But that's some stuff that I never really followed up on. Well, you know, we did talk about observational humor. And one of the areas that we've discussed quite a bit is stand-up comedy. And for you personally, do you find it hard to put together a stand-up routine? You know, find it difficult? Um, I was talking to Kevin Kellum, who, of course, is a Columbia alum and former Q, you know, former 101 uh, personality. And um, yeah. he, he talked about how difficult it is to get sort of like your routine together. Is that something that you found um, a little trying putting something like that together? Not, I mean, I, I think I had always, because I'm so used to producing so much content. Like I would always, like you said, what stuff that I tried that didn't work. I would put out so much stuff, especially at Q101 when I first started. Like I was producing tons, like I was just doing stuff behind the scenes, producing bits, prank calls and stuff. So whatever I would think of, I would just put out. So, you know, as far as stand-up, I have a million stand-up ideas. It's just that, I never had a problem with that. It's just, I guess I don't, I, I never had, I never got the reps like to see what's funny in front of an audience because you, you'll be surprised what an audience laughs at. But, but they don't make it easy either. I mean, they've got these 12,000 watt array of lights beaming down on you. Plus everyone's yeah. like two feet away pre-COVID, right? And then you also have to be an ace at memorization. So when you did stand up, what's something that put you at ease as you walked on the stage? nothing really i mean i didn't i didn't do it enough to like get that comfort level so you just went i would do it a few did it i did yeah like steve trevino a, a pretty big comedian at the improv in front of 400 people i went there to like hang out with him one day and he's like hey you want to go out and do five minutes in front of a sold out four or five hundred people at the improv and i did wow. it and like i i probably did stand up four times before that so like I shouldn't have been up there doing that. I mean, I, I got like an applause break for some. I was talking about like um, Kickstarters. Like I said, it used to be for people like your Vietnam vet uncle who needed a wheelchair. Now it's like some dude who wants a pool in his yard, something like that. <laughs> and like, it wasn't that. I mean, it was fine, but you know, I I, I should. I I always think about doing it again. It just I I don't I don't know. I, it's just something I haven't put the time into. So I never got comfortable. I, I probably only did it like less than twenty times in my life. Oh. 
that that's huge. But you know, some people yeah. don't even you know they want to be a stand up comic, but maybe they've done one or two times and and they're really nervous and they said yeah. get the stage fright. So um, I, I agree with you. It's just sort of being in the in the moment, in the mood, and and saying can I move forward with this? And and I wanted to discuss briefly this phenomenal career in media um, over the years, particularly particularly in radio. Um, it's changed. How would you describe your preparation, let's say, 10 to 15 years ago compared to today? Or has it changed at all? Not really. I mean, it's just you always have to know what's going on. I always store stuff in my phone, like notes. I guess I guess I'm not as I used to do like, OK, so when I hosted the show on Sirius, I was on Howard Stern's Sirius channel. I used to produce or put together an outline that really detailed what I was going to talk about, like a long outline now it just i'll have some bullet points that i want to talk about I, I don't i don't put together such a long outline anymore um so i put less time in it's not like there's less effort it just it's not necessary for me to do that anymore but things are a little bit different now on radio um the stuff i stay away from i've always like i i never talk politics i never you know that's the main thing i stay away from and i feel like it just keeps things easy once once you go down that road i think it's really hard to you know to make people laugh because you're alienating half the audience. So I, I, I pretty much do the same thing I've always done. Yeah. It's that preparation and it's that sort of that 10,000 hours, right? You know, you've just continued yeah. to put in the time and, um, you know, it just because it's natural to you. Um, Howard, you and I are both huge Howard fans. You get the opportunity of a lifetime to be on Howard 101. Um, someone's listening to the Abe Cannon podcast. What happens next? Walk me through those steps. Okay, so I was doing a morning show with my friend Sludge, who works at KQX now. He's, he's on the morning show. And I lost my job there because they put Bubba the Love Sponge on every rock radio station. So I, I, I was like, I'm going to do the show I wanted to do. So I did a podcast, with, like you said, Dan Levy, who we call Bates on the show, my friend Ryan Mano, and my brother Sam. We started doing a podcast in my bedroom and I was always emailing this guy, Tim Sabian. He was the program director of Howard 101. I would always send him like, here's some clips, here's some clips of, of my podcast. And even before the podcast, I was always sending him stuff because I always wanted to work with, with that channel, Howard 101. And it's so funny because I lost my job with Sludge because of Bubba the Love Sponge and Bubba the Love Sponge was like negotiating with Sirius and he wanted too much money. So they let him go. That opened up a spot for me at Sirius. So um, so Tim offered me, okay, I'm going to send out a producer. We're going to do a three-day run with you. And we did it from Chicago at the JBTV studios, which are gone now, unfortunately. Um, but we did three shows live on Howard 101. And then they liked it. And then it became a weekly show. Then it became twice a week. And then it was going to be every day. But then they got rid of live programming on the uh, the channel. But yeah, it was it was crazy. We went from a podcast out of my bedroom into like like Baba Booey, the producer, was listening to it, and then Howard listened to it. They all approved it, and then we were on his channel. So it was crazy how it happened. And it was really like a dream come true because I know you're oh my been God, a yeah. huge Howard fan. The most uncanny part was I'm sitting there. And I hear the imaging. It's like, welcome to the world of Howard Stern. Up next, <laughs> the Abe Cannon show. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I got goosebumps. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. He's, and then, then when I met Howard the first time, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, what's up, Abe? I'm a big fan. Wow. 
So like, it's Whoa, like I mean, it's, it's like, wow. And he, every time I met him, he was like the nicest guy ever. So yeah. it was, it was all, all that was surreal. And I was like super young too. That, you know, when that happened. Well, you know, it's if we start to look at sort of look back at all these, you know, shock jocks, right? You know, and I, I think Howard definitely was different than any of them, and he's proven his longevity. Over oh yeah, the and plus years. he plus he plus he evolved completely. Absolutely, like he's complete, which he should have. I mean, you have to evolve. And plus, he's the nicest guy in the world. In terms of one hundred and one, didn't work out. And he sent you the most eloquent message. And I was wondering if you could sort of talk a little bit about that, um, because I know it wasn't his doing to say, I'm not going to do the Abe Cannon show anymore, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, they, they brought in a new programmer and they got rid of all live programming. And they basically just decided to make both channels all Howard. He just sent me a really nice message about like, he like thought I was talented and all this stuff. And he even... He even sent me an email when I got this job at Rock 95.5, and he was like, oh, I always believed in you. I always thought that you were great. It was I forgot what he said, except it was super nice. So, yeah. Wow. It just, just, just being involved with him was, like, amazing. Like, I can't believe it. When I think about it now, it was, it's, I can't believe it happened. You know, I was at his Christmas parties every year. You know, it was just, like, just being, just meeting him, him knowing who I was. I was on his show a couple times because he had this guy, Evil Dave Letterman, who lived in Chicago. Yeah. So we would do it from, and I, I was like on mic once and he was talking to me. It's like I was on the Howard Stern show for like 12 minutes or something. So like <laughs> the whole thing was just surreal. And you know, like I feel like that's when Howard 101 was in its heyday. Like I would do the show and people that I know that I haven't talked to in 10 years are hitting me up from like San Diego. Hey, I'm listening to you on Howard and like celebrities were listening. It was just crazy. You know, those fans are so rabid, those Howard fans. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's like anything Howard and, you know, we, we know the Marianne's and everything and the Bobos and stuff, but they are just yep. crazy into Howard. I mean, the, the, and it was great to see him resign, of course, because we still get all the great content and the interviews and, and what have you. But um, you're, so, so let's, let me ask you this question. You know, your path has not been easy, um, filled with tons of change. Yeah. How did you develop this like thick skin, you're literally Teflon when it comes to some of the changes that have occurred in your career? I mean, you've had to actually pick up and leave one market, come back, work yep. in Chicago, work outside of the industry, get back into a different industry in the film industry, work on films. Yep. And then get back into radio. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it here I'll, I'll tell you like really fast like my my journey in radio. So, I interned because of you. I interned. I got the internship because you sent me in to interview with a dude for an internship in 2001 at Q101 for the uh, the production director there. He got fired, and I interned on the Man Cow Show, and I started there. I was there like five years. Um, I was also doing weekends on Q101. They got rid of that show, so I got a job in Miami on that morning show. Um, that's the one job that I actually got let go from. Every other job was like the station flip format. But the show I was on with these old dudes who were wearing Hawaiian shirts and like I just couldn't like I couldn't stand it. Like I never left Chicago at that point. So I was 25 living in South Beach on this show with these like old dudes who I, I didn't get their humor. They were so I was like I was like falling asleep in the studio. So then from there, that dude Sludge and I did that morning show in Richmond 
So I only left Chicago about less than two years total between Miami and Richmond. Um, we lost that job. That's when I started doing the podcast, which got me hired by Howard. Um, then on the day of my brother's wedding in Vegas, he was getting married in Vegas, I get the email from the dude at, at Sirius saying, oh, hey, we're getting rid of all live programming. So I lost that job. Um, and by the way, when I was at Q101, I had money down on a condo and I had to like pull out of that deal like a week before I would have closed. So then, okay, so after the Howard thing, I, I, what did I do after that? Um, God, I can't remember. Oh. I, I was, I was working at the, like the, the game at WGN. Yep. Um, I, I got a job at, at the, at, where else? Where did I go before the loop? God, I can't remember. But I, but I was, I was at the game. Then, then I ended up at the loop. They flipped for, they got rid of the station. I lost that job. Then I got hired at Cumulus again, who owned the loop. And I was doing mornings in Indianapolis. And I was on the morning show here. I lost that job because of COVID. They got, they just, they got rid of a bunch of, so, but then I ended up like here at rock 95, five, where I'm co-hosting mornings. And this is like, after I'm 40 years old now, 20 years in radio, this is like, this is the best job I've ever had because we're doing mornings in Chicago and it's and just doing the most, rock, you know, rock, the station yes. I've been waiting for like yep. the greatest station. I've been waiting for this. Like I, I listened to the station called rock one Oh three, five when I was a kid and the blaze, always, right? Well, it was the blaze and then it was rock one Oh three, five. And I'm, I've always been trying to chase that station. Like, God, it would be so awesome to have a station like rock one Oh three, five. And now finally it's here. And then they hired me to do mornings. So this is like, it's like Andy Dufresne and uh, Shawshank, like crawling through yards and yards of shit to come clean on the other side. And, and that's how I feel like this. Is, this is even the Howard thing was like the most amazing thing in my career. But still, it wasn't like like this is like the best thing I've done, I think. Um, and you're in your with hometown. the Howard thing being yeah. a close second. Yeah. I mean, it, it's different just being in your city. Yeah. Because I'm from here and like it just it just it's different. You know, the Howard thing, sure, there are a lot of people in Chicago listening, but you don't have that same impact that you have, you know, doing local radio. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to, to drive down the highway and, you know, 55 and to see those billboards, those 95 oh, yeah. billboards. And I just go, yeah. there's Abe's there, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, really, you know, it's, it's just amazing to hear you on the air. Um, and, and, I, and I think what I really love is the banter between the two of you, the, the cohesion that you have. And, yeah. and, you know, when you bring in guests too, and, and, and that's, I think, one of the things that really stands out about you and your career is you have evolved, as you said earlier. You know, it, it's really important because Howard evolved, and looking at someone like that and his trajectory in the industry, and having that person as someone you look up to, I think was probably the best thing that you could have done. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Angie Taylor, who was doing mornings on Kiss FM, like we never we we were we did seven minutes together on air before our first show. Like we did seven minutes of like like a mock show that we recorded and then we were live on the air. So like we never met and we, you know, it was like instant chemistry on the air, which is like really hard to find. So, so program so. director gives you a call and says, Abe, you're coming down to the station and we're going to do um, seven, 10 minutes with Angie, see how it works out. Well, no, no, I was, I, no, I was already hired before that. Okay. Yeah. Like I was, I was talking to them about like the head of rock programming for iHeart like years ago about doing something. And then just like, it just kind of worked out where like this station came out of nowhere and then they paired us up and like 
we talked on Zoom for or Skype or whatever, FaceTime for like, I don't know, an hour or so. And then we're like, all right, well, you guys want to do a mock show? Like, I guess. And we did like 10 minutes or something. And then, then they're like, all right, we're going on the air Monday. So like it was, and now we've been, it's going to be a year, uh, like October 5th, it's going to be a year that we've been on. So we're almost, we're like 11 months in and it's like still 11 months in, we shouldn't even have chemistry yet. And we had it like the first day. It's really good. I think, I think it's really like a good partnership and it's people love it. So it's pretty, it's pretty awesome to like feel that too, because like you said, I've, I've had so many situations where I get screwed over and you're just, you just have to keep, you can't quit. That's the key is like, I, so many people I went to Columbia with the first site, uh, site of failure, they never came back into radio. You know, I've had to get some jobs on the outside, but I would always keep something going in radio. Like I always had a podcast, like I still do a podcast. Um, I would do something part-time, whatever to keep my foot in radio, because I felt like once I completely left, that would just, I, it would just end it for me. So that's the best advice is like, you just never stop. Even if it seems bleak, like we, we just brought up Dan Levy. What a great example. He's never quit. Now he has like 10 jobs, 10 radio jobs. So the people who quit, like they're doing a job now that they might not like. You know, because it's it's always easy. Like, hey, do you want do you want to drive a truck? Do you want to make, you know, one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year? That's easy to do. That you know, instead of continuing down this path of like failure and just fighting for everything. Um, but I think I think now, like, when it works out, it's like it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's your passion, and and it's funny because that last question was going to be, what advice would you have for creatives and you summed it up in a nutshell, you know, don't give up and you've got to fight for it. Because I think with a lot of people who are in the industry, what really makes the difference for them is the fact that they've stayed in it long enough and they don't get out at the first sign of failure or, yeah, or, or the you're gonna, change. There will be a lot of failure, no matter yeah. what you do. I mean, you're going you're gonna to lose jobs. Things aren't going to work out, um, but you have to keep doing it. And then if you're nice, if you're a nice person, I feel like things work out too. Because people know it's like when you're not nice, they don't they don't want to help you. So I feel like if you're nice to everyone and you don't give up, I feel like it'll work out. You just have to keep doing it. You have to do the right things. Don't worry about like like I know a lot of creatives that are like trying to sell t-shirts for their brand. It's like, what are you doing? Like you have like seven listeners. Like why why are you selling a t-shirt? Oh, I gotta pay for the whatever. It's like, no. Worry, just put out something that you're proud of and then you'll, you'll get an audience and, and you know, it'll, it'll lead you to where you're supposed to be. And probably find that circle of people who are going to believe in you and don't think you have all the answers either. Exactly. That's exactly right. On the last note, I was just going to say, this is a, a really great time for you. The White Sox, I see your White Sox hat there. I know you're a huge That's fan. Right. They're doing awesome That's this right. year. Playoffs, World Series, no doubt, right? Yeah. I mean... They could win it this year. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, I, I, th I think they have a chance. I mean, think I'm excited. Of, yeah, I mean, think about it too. I mean, they've had the, the huge injuries. Those guys have come back now after, you know, what looked like season ending injuries and now they're yeah. back. And, yeah. you know, La Russa, the, the, the hire was very controversial from the, from the get go. Um, but you know, it's looking, it's looking pretty on the South side right now. And then of course, yeah. uh, a lot going on with MMA and wrestling and, and I know everything. You, yeah. yeah we had CM, we had CM Punk on the show yesterday. Like he's like the biggest thing in wrestling right now. Then that's from a relationship I had 10 years ago with him. 
like we, we they, they did a, a press conference that I was on and all these people from like Sports Illustrated, they're like, all right, coming up is whatever from Sports Illustrated. And CM Punk didn't say anything. And they're like, okay, now from WCHI, Abe Cannon. CM Punk's like, hey, what's up, Abe? How you doing? Like, it just, you know, someone like him, it like, it kind of like, it makes you like a made man in that press conference. Cause they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like who, you know, who's Abe Cannon? CM Punk knows him. So it's like, it just, again, and CM Punk said, you know, well, you're always nice. So I remember you. So it's just something going back to being nice, which is very important. Part of your legacy. And what all creatives should think about is the fact that get along with others, like people, be nice to people. Yeah. And don't, don't let people like not, don't let people stifle you because people who are not doing what you're doing, they're always going to advise you to do something different. Like, uh, just go get this other job. You're going to make way more money. Aren't you sick of this not making money? Always keep doing what you love. Have, have that, always have that light at the end of the tunnel because that's what keeps you going. The guys who don't have the light, you see what happens. Like they, all they care about is going to the bar after work and just getting drunk. Like think about that. All these guys, they're not happy. So if you have a chance to be happy, you should really try to be happy because most people don't, you're, you're lucky that you're a creative because most people don't have that option. So if you have some kind of skill, you, you owe it to yourself to follow that passion because you're very lucky that you have that. Well said. Abe Cannon, we can hear you on 95.5. Also, you want to throw out your podcasts. Um, you got a couple of them. Are you still doing the, uh, the Slob podcast too? Yeah, the Slob show. And then you could just search my name, Abe Cannon, on all awesome. podcast platforms. They all come up right there. So. Great. Thank you so much, Abe. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. You've been listening to the Undaunted Creative Podcast. Undaunted Creative is a production of WCRX-FM in collaboration with the Career Center of Columbia College Chicago. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Colum Career. That's C-O-L-U-M-C-A-R-E-E-R. This episode was produced by Matthew Byrne. To hear more episodes of The Undaunted Creative, check them out wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Tom Joyce. Thanks for listening.